Good morning, everyone. We have our backup singers in place, so if you will please stand with us and sing along. Could not climb in death. 
chapter 7 this morning, and it says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ has delivered us. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so excited to be able to gather 
uh, in worship together, and thank you for being here. I know you've lost an hour's sleep, uh, but here you are nevertheless. Uh, I'll make sure while I'm preaching to pay extra close attention to those of you that nod off. Should have gone to bed a little earlier last night, but thank you uh, for being here. want to extend a special welcome to our guests. I know we have uh, some family uh, back here, uh, for Tyler and Jennifer's family. Uh, we're going to do a child dedication in just a moment, and so we have them here and others visiting with us this morning. So thank you for being here. Uh, if you will, inside the bulletin, there should have been one on your seat, is a place for you to fill out some information about yourself there's a box out there in the foyer. You can put that in there after the service, or you can just hand it to me, your Pastor BJ, uh, on your way out. Again, uh, it is a, a blessing and an honor to have you with us. Well, um, it's always exciting when we get to, to do child dedication uh, services, and so we're going to do that um, this morning. You know, we, uh, we as a church recognize, and this is something that, that I really want to continue to emphasize as a church, is that our parents are the primary disciple makers of their children. Ultimately, it's on the parents making disciples of their children. But we as a church desire to come alongside of you as parents and to help you, to equip you, to, to help you continue to point them to Jesus. So this morning we have Tyler and Jennifer Yeager. So if you all want to come on uh, up here and, and whoever you want to bring. I know Clint's coming. <laughs> Rhett may be coming as well. So Rhett... Um, was already uh, dedicated when he was little. How old is Rhett right now? Four. Four. Uh, so they're coming, uh, and they have Clint. And so uh, BJ's going to come and talk uh, a little bit more about their name, and then I'll come back up here in, in just a minute. You guys should be good there. You're still on the camera, so... Well, let's see. William... Clint Yeager. Did I get that right? Okay, good, good. That's <laughs> good. Do you think that Clint would let me hold him for just a minute? You think you want to come see me? Will you? Will you come here? Hey, bud. Oh yeah, yeah. See, uh oh. Well, I know we recognize a family that's here. There's a lot of family that's here this morning, and so we just appreciate that and. Man, I'm, I'm excited. This is one of my favorite parts of the job. All right, you want to go back to your mama? Okay, here we go. I, I don't blame you. Yeah. All right. So William, William was named after really both grandfathers. Is that right? You got, you got a William in your family? Well, I looked up and, and tried to, to, to get some ideas about the name William, and, and I found several things I thought were interesting. William means protector. Uh, and, and specifically, the name William has its roots, uh, and this I thought was, was interesting, in a, 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 gilded, a, a gilded helmet or, or, or golden overlaid helmet, which indicates victory. And man, my mind immediately went to uh, the scripture in Ephesians that says, put on the full armor of God, including, including the helmet of salvation. And that's a prayer that we have for Clint is that he will give his life to Christ one day and, and, and have that salvation. But um, also, Clint, now I found this interesting. Uh, it, it means that there's a, it's a town or a city situated on a hill. And in, in the book of Matthew, chapter 5 specifically, I just want to read this verse of Scripture. It says, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so just, just really quickly, because I know, yeah, I know. You know what? All of us lost an hour of sleep last night, and, uh, and, and I get it. So I, I just want to pray with you real quick. Um, so let's, let's pray. Father, I just I pray for uh, Tyler and Jennifer. I thank you that they want to raise their children in, in the church and in Christ. And specifically, I pray for, for Clint this morning, that he will one day give his life to you, and he will be able to proudly wear that helmet of salvation. But also, like a city on a hill, that his light that is Christ in him will shine for all to see and will draw people, not just unto him, but ultimately unto you, uh, our our Savior, our God, our Lord.
Father, I just I pray these blessings upon them, uh, and may you be honored in their life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Am I on? I may have had it muted earlier. I know I'm unmuted now. We good? All right. Uh, so we have a baby's New Testament that we're going to give. So so cute. And then we also have a charge. Uh, so the first part will be directed to you all. So if you'll just respond to each statement with what we do. And then we also have a charge for the church as well. So do you commit to remembering your marriage covenant and to making your relationship a reflection of Christ and His church? If you do, say we do. We do. Awesome. Do you commit to being disciple makers in your home? Do you commit to raising Clint and the discipline and instruction of the Lord? With the help God provides, do you commit to teach your boys the fullness of God's Word, to demonstrate through your own example and witness what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? And one last one. Do you commit to praying for both Rhett and Clint, pleading with the Lord for their salvation? Awesome. When it comes to raising children, as I already said, parents have the first responsibility, but parents need help, prayers, and support of the community. You have family, you have friends, and then you have your church family as well. So I direct my final question to them. Will you, friends, family, and church family, agree to support Tyler and Jennifer by being faithful to pray for them? Will you encourage them, love them, and support them through acts of service? Will you help teach Clint and Rhett, and set a godly example for them so that they may one day come to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? Will you help disciple and train them so that they might live under the supreme rule of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you will commit to do these things, will you please signify that by standing? Let's pray. Father, this morning we intercede on behalf of Clint. We intercede on behalf of Rhett. God, our prayers that these two boys will love you, that they will serve you. Lord, we pray for Tyler and Jennifer. What a blessing it is, Lord, to be able to do this this morning and to be able to love on them and serve them. Lord, we pray that they will be the parents that will set the right example for their boys, teaching them to love you, teaching them to serve you throughout their life. Father, we thank you for Northside. What a blessing this church family is. As, as a father, it is so encouraging and so overwhelming and i'm so thankful to know lord that i'm not in this alone that there are brothers and sisters in christ who love my boys and love my family and lord we want tyler and jennifer to experience that as well lastly lord we pray for clint and Rhett that you would protect them guide them that you would save them that you would use them to accomplish your will for your glory we ask all this in jesus name you may be seated all right thank you we're going to sing a song in just a minute, but before that, we have a video for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering, so check that out. I really grew up in a very diverse neighborhood, and uh, that that's part of what led me to plant the type of church that we planted here at Gospel Hope. We wanted to plant a church in a very diverse area to say to our world that there's hope. There is gospel hope through the work of Jesus for a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. And we feel like the east side of Atlanta just beautifully represent that. As I was getting prepared to plant Gospel Hope Church, one of my deepest prayers was that the Lord would lead a brother to lead this plant with me. And I was praying for somebody that I would really identify with philosophically and theologically. And God in His grace answered that prayer way beyond my expectation by allowing me to meet Rod through a mutual friend. We got together and had coffee. And just as we began to get to know one another, we came to the conviction that we think we can do this better together than we can apart. We're on the same mission here. We're on the same team. And we've been able to reach a wide swath of people. And every Sunday, you have this beautiful picture of the diversity of God's kingdom. Absolutely. And people who I think their idea of what it means to win has nothing to do with, is it my idea or is it his or her idea? But does this idea or does this initiative advance the kingdom? 
people are black and white and brown and rich and poor and male and female and young and old, but fundamentally, we are all made in the image of God. We are sinners who need a savior. And we all, if we trust in Jesus, are made brothers and sisters by the work of his blood. And it is, it's, it's one of the most deeply moving experiences of my life to be a part of a church that does display the reconciling hope of the gospel. Thank you so much for giving to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Because of partners like you, we are able to plant churches in places that desperately need a gospel witness. Just a reminder, you can continue to pray for our missionaries, give to our missionaries, and be willing to go. Right? Go across the street, tell people about Jesus Christ. Our goal for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering is $4,500. Total raised after one week is $1,140, so that's a great start. Envelopes are out there in the foyer, uh, and so you can make sure you put that check or, or that cash that you're going to give towards this offering. Make sure you put it in one of those envelopes, and then you can just put it um, in, in the box out there. Well, I'm ready to worship some more. I hope you are as well. So if you'll stand, Curtis is going to come. We're going to continue to sing together.
stand again as we continue singing. of the reading of God's Word. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 as we continue our series called The Seven Sayings from the Cross. We'll look at his third saying this morning. John 19 beginning in verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. You may be seated. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been nailed to the cross. Nails in His hands and His feet, a crown shoved upon His brow, a sign, in essence, mocking Him, saying He was the King of the Jews placed above Him. And while on that cross, Jesus utters seven statements or seven sayings. The first word is a word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second word is a word of salvation. When he says in response to the thief who says, remember me, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. This morning we see Jesus' third saying. And it is a beautiful picture of God's love and God's compassion. Now if I'm honest, this particular statement of Jesus is one that I often overlook when you think of his seven sayings from the cross. Compared to his other sayings, this one does not seem to carry as much weight. At first glance, you're thinking, well, Jesus is just handling some family business, making sure his mom's taken care of. That's wonderful. But in reality, I believe Jesus' statement to his mother is an act of love and has real theological and practical significance for our lives. So I want to look at that this morning. And so what we've been doing is we've been asking two questions. What does Jesus say? And then so what? How does his statement change us, impact us at all? So let's begin with the what. What does Jesus say? Well, John is the only uh, one of the writers, the only gospel that records this interaction. And he says in verse 25, But standing by the cross of Jesus were... Then he mentions four ladies who were there. His mother, that's Mary, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas. We don't know anything really else about this Mary the wife of Clopas. And then Mary Magdalene, right? We know of Mary Magdalene. We know that Jesus radically changed her life, delivering her 
right? And we know that she was a follower of Jesus, and she's there uh, at the tomb, right, going for, for that and his, the resurrection. And so we know that. But there's, there's a lady mentioned here that in, in my studies was just interesting. It says, at the cross were his mother and his mother's sister. Mary's sister is here at the cross. Now, in Matthew's account, the Gospel of Matthew, we read that there was a, a woman who was at the cross, and Matthew describes her this way, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. The sons of Zebedee would have been James and John. John is the disciple who's gonna, Jesus is going to speak to. He's at the cross. His mother, according to Matthew, was also here. In Mark's account, we read that there was a woman named Salome who was there. And so, is it possible that Mary's sister, her name is Salome, according to Mark, was there, and according to Matthew, Salome was the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And if that's the case, that makes Jesus and James and John cousins. I don't know if we can definitively state that, but it's certainly a possibility that this sister is in fact the mother of James and John. So we know there are four women who are there. Verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved. Now, we believe the disciple whom he loved is John. John is the author of this book. He is the only gospel writer who talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. If John is writing this, and in fact this is John, I don't know if he would really refer to himself. He certainly would not say the disciple whom Jesus loved, which by the way is me. I don't think he would say that, but we do believe based upon the gospels that this is in fact the disciple John. Look what it says. When Jesus saw his mother. Jesus is hanging on the cross. No doubt as he prays, Father, forgive them, he's taken a, a glance at the crowds. He's looked towards the thief. He's had a conversation with the thief. And now John says he saw his mother. Maybe Jesus once again is scanning the crowd. And then he locks eyes with the very one who gave birth to him. The very one who raised him. The one who has loved him his entire earthly life. And there is his mother, Mary. Now I want you to go back with me, if you will. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Let's, let's go back and then we'll, we'll come back to the cross. Luke chapter 1. An angel appears to Mary, right, to tell her about this birth. And Luke chapter 1, verse 31 says this, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Matthew tells us, for he will save his people from their sins. How is Jesus going to save his people from their sins? Fast forward to the foot of the cross, where Mary, the mother of Jesus, is looking up and seeing her son being crucified for the sins of the world. We go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 38. And Mary said, in light of this news, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. This is the word of the angel, which is coming from God. What is the word and will of God for His Son? It's that His Son would be crushed. So when Mary says, let it be to me according to your word, in that moment she does not know where that word is going to take her. It now takes her to the foot of the cross where her son is being crucified. Mary in Luke chapter 1 says this, verse 47, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my what? Savior. Fast forward to the foot of the cross where the son becomes her Savior. She hangs from the tree. And then we fast forward to Luke chapter 2. Jesus is presented at the table and there is a man by the name of Simeon and he says this about Jesus. He blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Here is Mary. The one who had the privilege and the honor of giving birth to Jesus. A supernatural virgin birth. And she's at the foot of the cross. Looking up 
seeing the blood flow from her son. And that's, it's as if a sword is thrust through her, fulfilling what Simeon said. Most of Mary's life is lived in the background, lived among the shadows. We don't see her a lot in the Gospels. And here she is once again at the foot of the cross. And she watches in agony and terror as her son is slaughtered like a lamb. A.W. Pink writes, here we see displayed the mother heart. She is the dying man's mother. The one who agonizes there on the cross is her child. She it was who first planted kisses on that brow, now crowned with thorns. She it was who guided those hands and feet in their first infantile movements. No mother ever suffered as she did. His disciples may desert him, his friends may forsake him, his nation may despise him, but his mother stands there at the foot of the cross. Oh, who can fathom or analyze the mother heart? Jesus sees his mother and then he speaks to her. The third saying from the cross as he looks to his mother and he says, woman, that's not a derogatory term the way it may be used by some people. Woman? It's not, he's not saying that. He's saying, woman, woman, behold your son. He's not saying, behold your son, me. He's saying, behold your son, and he's pointing to John. Mary is losing her oldest son. Right? Jesus is the oldest. She was a virgin. She had had no kids. God blesses her. She is the one that's going to carry the Christ, the Son of God. The one who is to care for her in her aging years. The one who is to comfort her. Joseph is nowhere to be seen. We don't see Joseph since Jesus is 12. More than likely, Joseph is dead. Mary has some other children, Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, but they have yet to believe in Jesus. Jesus looks at his mother, understanding, in essence, she has no one. Her other children do not believe that I am the Christ, the Son of God. She has no husband. She's alone. She needs to be cared for. She needs to be provided for. And so he says to her, woman, behold your son. John is now your son. And then he looks to John. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. John is now going to become the one who is responsible for taking care of Jesus' mother, Mary. Behold your son, behold your mother, and look what it says. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. John is faithful to live out Jesus' last will and testament for his earthly mother. John, you care for her, and John is faithful, and he takes her home. Now, when you're studying for sermon preparation, BJ and I talked this week. I was getting some, getting some of his thoughts. There's a lot that comes to mind, and you just can't say it all in a sermon. But there was one thing that really jumped out at me when it says that he immediately took her to his own home. So I want you to go to John chapter 20, because this always fascinated me when I read this, right? John chapter 20, it talks about how Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the one he has just spoken to, right? They, they, they hear Jesus, the tomb's empty, they run to the, to the tomb, uh, verse 8, then the other disciple who would reach the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. As soon as John sees, he believes he's alive. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Like, how did they not know? Sometimes we're just as ignorant, are we not? We're so slow to believe. And then it says this, and I never understood this. Then the disciples went back to their homes. What? Jesus is alive, and you're going home. Why? Why are you not running down the streets saying Jesus is alive? Why don't they run to tell the disciples? And then it dawned on me. What does it say in chapter 19? And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Why does John go home? Because that's where Mary is. And the first person that needs to know that her son is alive is Mary. It makes sense. I would have gone home too. For the first time, like this light bulb went off. That that's why he went home. 
Because that's where Mary was. And he wanted Mary to know your son is alive. So that's the what. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Now, the so what. It's, again, this is one of those statements that often I overlook. So it's like, okay, how do I apply this? How does this really speak to us? What do we need to learn from this? And so I, here's what I want to show you. I, wanna, I just want you to see three things. And I want you to see the compassion that Jesus has here. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus has compassion for sinners. Jesus has compassion for sinners. Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus has already shown his compassion, right, for, for the crowd. Father, forgive them. He's already shown his compassion for the thief. Right, today you'll be with me in paradise. But you need to understand something. He shows compassion here for his mother Mary, who is a sinner. Mary, his mother, is a sinner just like you and I. Erwin Lutzer writes, wonderful mother that she was, she nevertheless took her place with the other sinners at the foot of the cross. She was not there to aid in purchasing redemption, but she herself was being redeemed by her son. Mary's words now ring true. She said in that praise, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. God is her Savior because Mary needed a Savior. If Mary is sinless, if Mary knew no sin, then she doesn't need a Savior. So when Jesus is dying on the cross for the sins of you and me, He is also dying on the cross for the sins of the very woman who gave birth to Him and raised Him. He's dying for her as well. You see, Mary needed the forgiveness her son was now purchasing. Mary needed a Savior because Mary was a sinner. There is no biblical support for the Immaculate Conception, which teaches that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was perfect. That somehow Mary was preserved and she was free from all stain of original sin. Catholics believe and teach that Mary had no original sin. Nowhere does the Gospels tell us that. And what I believe is that what Jesus is primarily doing on the cross for His mother is paying for her sins. So that she too can have a Savior and live with God forever and ever and ever. On the cross, Jesus was paying for the sins of the world. On the cross, the Son of Mary, Jesus, becomes Mary's Savior. She needed a Savior as much as the thief needed a Savior. She needed a Savior as much as you and I need a Savior. On the cross, what Jesus is doing is He is becoming our substitutionary sacrifice. He dies in your place. He dies in my place. He is dying in Mary's place. He is dying for her sins and your sins. He is paying for her sins and your sins and my sins. This morning, I want you chiefly to know that God cares about your eternal destination. See, Mary may have been the best mother she possibly could have been to this Jesus. But at the end of the day, she still would have died in her sins and gone to hell. And never lived with Jesus for all eternity. Because she needed a Savior. And Jesus cared about her eternal destination and He cares about yours. God sent Jesus to die in your place for your sins so that you might die to self, live for and in Christ, and so that one day you may live with Christ forever and ever. So what is Jesus primarily doing when He is on the cross? He's, he's dying for her. And He wasn't saying, look, behold your son, talking about Himself. But I can't help but think, when I hear that word behold, think of John the Baptist who says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus took away Mary's sins. He can take away your sins if you will repent and believe in Jesus. Mary's greatest need was her need for forgiveness. And so we see Jesus showing compassion upon sinners, which included His own mother. But then there's something else that we see, and that is Jesus has compassion for His mother. Jesus for us is first and foremost the sacrifice for us, but on the cross we also see that He is an example for us to follow. So let me apply this to each and every one of us because each and every one of us has a mom and a dad. Maybe they're living, maybe they're not. Maybe you have a good relationship with them, maybe you do not. 
William Barclay writes, there is something infinitely moving in the fact that Jesus in the agony of the cross in the moment when the salvation of the world hung in the balance thought of the loneliness of His mother in the days when He was taken away. He knows what He's about to do, and soon she will realize that, but in the moment she doesn't understand it yet. And so He sees her heart breaking as she's having to watch this, and He's concerned about her. And he basically looks to John and he says, Hey, John, it's your job. You take care of her while I'm gone. Because he knows even after the resurrection, he's going back to the Father. He's not staying on earth forever. right? So he knows, John, it's your job. You take care of my mom. Make sure she's provided for. So what is Jesus doing in this moment? Well, number one, he's meeting her greatest need, which is the forgiveness of sins. But he's also, I think, fulfilling the most basic responsibility and the most sacred responsibility a son has. And that's making sure your mom is cared for. It's making sure that your mom is provided for. Jesus Christ, this is just a point of application for us this morning, is the perfect man setting an example for how children ought to honor their parents. Jesus knew the law. Jesus knew the fifth commandment, which says what? Honor your mother and father. Look, we know as parents, right, we know the verse in the New Testament, children, obey your parents. Right? We use that a lot, do we not, parents? Like, obey me. God said obey me. But sometimes we forget that, yes, we are to obey. And as we grow older, maybe we don't obey our parents in the same way. But we still honor them. We are to honor our father and our mother. One author writes, although Jesus was about the business of saving the world, He was not too busy to care for His parents. Hear me. You and I have an obligation to care for our parents. It is Christ-honoring to care for our parents. Now look, that may look different in each and every situation. And I understand each and every one of you, you come from different backgrounds and you have different relationships with your parents. But Jesus is showing us what it looks like here to honor our parents. Look, personally, I'm so thankful that in the last two to three years, I have seen two examples of this modeled in my life. I watched as Ryan's dad, my father-in-law, cared for his aging dying mom who laid in a nursing home for well over a year and almost every day he went by there and when he couldn't go by there he called and he made sure he treated those nurses as good as he could because they were the ones caring for his mom and i watched that and then i got to watch his my dad cared for my grandmother. As she too in the same facility, both in the same facility, Ryan's grandma and mine, as she laid there, weak and getting weaker, and he would go by in the same thing, honoring them as their life was coming to a conclusion. Look, they couldn't bring them as some people can into their own home. They couldn't provide the constant care in their own home. They didn't have any other options but to put them in a nursing home. But they made sure that even in that, they were honored. Look, I don't, I don't know how you want to flesh this out in your life this week. Again, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your parents. Some of you right now, that's where you are. You are smack dab in the middle of caring for your aging parents. And you're having to make decisions, and you're having to pray through that. You're having to think through that, and that's hard. Some of you have just lost a parent, and you're still grieving, and you're still having to work through that, and that's difficult. Some of you, some of you know what it's like to be in Mary's shoes because you had to attend the funeral of your own child, and you understand that grief, and you understand that pain. So you're all in different places, and I don't know how you flesh this out this week, but what I do know, one thing I think we see in this statement is we see Jesus caring for his mother. You and I have obligations to care for ours. And man, I want to be faithful to carry out that responsibility as a son to care for my parents. But there's one other thing I want you to see here, and this is good as well. That is this. Jesus has compassion. He has compassion for his disciples. 
He is gracious to love and restore. Matthew 26, 56 tells us that when Jesus is arrested, all the disciples forsake him. They leave. They flee. We know Peter follows at a distance, but then he denies him. They leave Jesus. We're out. We're gone. And then just hours later, who's at the foot of the cross? John. One of the disciples who hours before just took off. He didn't stick with Jesus. He didn't stand with Jesus. He didn't say, hey, I'm here to the end. You're taking me with Jesus. He was gone. But he finds his way back to the cross. And Jesus, scanning the crowd, sees his mother and then sees John. No indication in Scripture that he rebukes him. No indication in Scripture. He says, wow, John, now you show up. Where were you all night long? Why'd you abandon me? Three years I poured into you. This is what I get? You left me. In my greatest moment of need, you weren't there for me. No rebuke. Why? Because Jesus restores. Jesus forgives. There's no rebuke. Instead, what he does is he looks to John and he bestows upon him like one of the greatest privileges and obligations he could in that moment, which is you take care of my mom. Make sure she's provided for. Our God shows compassion. Our God shows forgiveness. Emily Colson writes, Jesus, who is dying in our place, asks a faithful follower to take his place and care for his mother. You see, John, I think, realized he messed up. And so what does he do? He repents. He returns. He comes back to the cross where Jesus is now hanging. Oh, church, hear me. Not only does Jesus forgive us and restore us, but he can still use you. God can still use you. So let me ask you a question. Have you wandered away? Have you wandered away? Was there a time in your life when you gave your life to Jesus and you said, man, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And man, you were involved in church and you were reading your Bible. And here you are this morning sitting here and you haven't done that in a long time. Have you wandered away? Have you forsaken Jesus? Have you denied Jesus? Maybe recently at work, a conversation came up and and you chose to stay silent for fear of what people would think. Or maybe you even outright just... Nope, I don't believe that. Denied Jesus or denied the Word. One author writes, God loves you as a Savior who wants to take away your sin. God loves you as a Father that wants to care for His sons and daughters. God loves you like a husband who loves, cares for, and cherishes his wife. God loves you as a friend who will walk with you closer than a brother. God loves you as a dying son would care for his widowed mother. God loves you. He cares for you. And He can forgive you. And right now, at this moment, He is willing to restore you if you will just return to the Lord. And He is able to use you for His glory. See, when Jesus is looking down from the cross, it says He saw His mother. And what I believe this morning is that right now, Jesus sees you. He sees you right now. He knows your hurts. He knows your pains. He knows what you're going through. He knows your sins. He sees you. And He stands ready to forgive you and have compassion upon you. But you must repent and return to the Lord. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Emily Colson writes, Our Jesus sees us too. He hears the deep ache and groans of this world. He sees the widows and the orphans, the oppressed and the fatherless, the prisoner and the disabled, the elderly and the unborn. This morning, He sees you and He has a word of compassion for you. But you must believe in Him. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says this, and then we'll close. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your, anxi- casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Church, your Father in heaven cares for you. That's why Jesus Christ is on that cross to begin with, because He cares about your greatest need, which is a need for forgiveness. Have you experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God? 
If you have not, will you right now confess your sins, repent of your sins, turn from those sins, repent of them, that's what it means, turn from, and give your life to Jesus. This morning, if you came in here, man, your heart is heavy. You're dealing with the cares and the anxieties and the things of the world, whatever they may be related to. This morning, will you just be still and know that He is God? And know that He sees you, know that He's with you, know that He will uphold you and strengthen you and He will sustain you. Will you just see Him for who He is? Would you close your eyes and and bow your head? We're not going to sing this morning. I'm just going to give you a, a chance right where you are just to be silent. Again, because I don't, I don't know how a message like this impacts you or speaks to you. I pray it has somehow. I know it has me this week. But will you just get before the Lord? I'll give you a moment just to cry out to Him. Maybe to cry out and to say, My God, my Savior, will you save me from my sins? I repent. I turn to you, Jesus. Or maybe it's just a return to the Lord because you've wandered away. And you just need to say, God, will you forgive me and restore me? Maybe it's just to say, God, how, how can you use me right now in my life? Maybe it's just to pray for strength and wisdom in whatever situation you're going through. Just be still. And know that God sees you. And He has met your greatest need through Christ, which is forgiveness of sins. Just be still, and then I'll pray for us. Father, there this morning is well over a hundred people in this room. Some people, I don't even know their names. For many of them, I don't know their stories. And yet, Father, You know each and every one of them. You know everything there is to know about them. You even know the numbers of hair on their head. God, You see them. Those watching online from their living rooms or listening in the car, God, You see them right now. You know what they need. Spirit of God, speak and move in them. If they need salvation, then God save them. Do what only You can do. Break their hearts. Open their eyes. Open their ears. And may they receive and respond to Your salvation. For those who are hurting, comfort them. For those who are tired, strengthen them. For those who are overwhelmed and burdened by the things of life, oh God, give them joy. Give them peace. And give them hope in the midst of this darkness. For those who are in the midst of grief and pain, experiencing loss. For those, Father, who are getting ready to walk through those doors and we're not aware of who or when. Oh God, we turn to You. And we thank You. We thank You for meeting our most basic, important need, which is need for forgiveness. Thank You, God, for saving a wretch sinner like me. And God, thank You for not only dealing with our salvation, but also, God, for providing every other need that we possibly could have. You will never abandon us. You will never forsake us. Thank You for the compassion that You have shown in my life, in my family's life, in our church's life. Continue to show us that compassion. Continue to show us that grace. And may we be a people who also show that compassion and grace to sinners, to family members, and even to those who have fallen away and walked away from the Lord. May we pursue them so that they might return to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, it has been good 
good to be in your house. Remind us that when we leave this place, God, we're not leaving you here. Through the Spirit of God, you go with us. You've already gone before us. So Lord, may we just humble ourselves. Use us this week, we pray, God, for your glory, for your honor, for your namesake. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we have our deacon of the week come and, and pray, and, and that's Bill, let me just uh, draw your attention to a couple announcements. We have our, our Grand Prix tonight for Awana, so that's really exciting. The, the times and everything you need to know is right there uh, in, in the bulletin. Um, it says that we're actually having Bible study tonight at 6, but we're not because of the Grand Prix. There's no, no Bible study. Is that correct, David? I'm right on that. Yeah, no Bible study uh, tonight for our adults, our students, and, and our kids with the Wana. They're still going to meet, and you have that schedule. Also want to just draw your attention to an announcement about men's ministry. Uh, we started last month a, is it four weeks? A four-week study that we're doing? Five weeks. A five-week study. Um, and so... You miss one week, but it's not too late to, to jump in. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that uh, Saturday, March 20th. Um, it'll be a blessing to you and an encouragement to you. Uh, there's also some other announcements in here uh, relating to uh, Lindsay Morris and, and the upcoming um, uh, wedding and, and shower. Lindsay is, is home, correct? We had talked about her last week. She's home, doing better, continue uh, to pray uh, for her as she recovers from uh, this asthma attack. God is good and gracious. Amen. Good and gracious God. All right, if you'll stand, Bill's going to close us with a word of prayer. Thank you, brother. Hi, Heavenly Father, it's good to be here. Uh, thank you for the praises that we lifted up to you, uh, Father, to, to be in unity in here and just to lift up your name. Uh, Father, thank you for the, the blessing to do it here. But Father, give, give us courage to do it when we leave this place. In our conversation, in our walking, uh, Jesus, to take your yoke upon us and learn of you, to, to speak of you, not to be ashamed. Father, to put you in, in uh, to see you in everything we do, that you may be glorified in our bodies uh, for the prayers that you answered. Father, we just love you and we thank you. Give us strength and courage and blessing as we leave. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.